Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, the Federal Law Enforcement Agency of the United States Air Force. I'm Hannah, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I've been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Hello. Welcome back, archivists. Welcome back. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It feels like it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> we did some recording, so we had a break, too. Yeah. Yeah, we, we dug deep into the archives for this, right? And mm-hmm. I think the next couple episodes are going to be some, like, more... Different. Yeah, di- different from a departure from genealogy. Sorry for all you folks that really like the genealogy, but really in the archives, some historical, maybe some that you haven't heard of before. Maybe our audience hasn't heard of any of them before, but this is this will be fun. I had not heard of this one. Uh, it, it, we're taking a step back from murder also. Oh, good point, good point. Kind of what you would think of maybe of like true crime. We are talking about the 1974 uh, Birmingham pub bombers. So this is in Birmingham, England? England. England, yes. Before I really go into that story, I'm going to have to explain a few different things first and events. Okay. So we're going to be talking about a few different things. So the first thing I'm going to explain and talk about is the IRA, which, by the way, I did not realize was a real thing. Really? Yeah. I thought it was like a TV, like a fictional, well, the, because I've only ever heard yeah, about it on TV. And it's it's regional, right? It's it's unique to Northern Ireland and, mm-hmm. and England. So it... Yeah, they're just not traipsing all over the world. Yeah, I but I've definitely heard of them like f- from TV and stuff. So I had to mm-hmm. had to Google it. So it is for those of you who don't know, the Irish Republican Army. Now it originally began in 1917 and was referred to as the old IRA, which lasted until about 1919, and then it just became the IRA, which lasted until about 1922. The old IRA was made up of Irish volunteers and people from the Irish Citizen Army who went back to Ireland to fight against Britain in the Irish War of Independence. So basically, it was just a paramilitary organization that ended up splitting into different parts of themselves over the years. And they've continued to split. But 1922 is what's described as really like the big split that really like defined who they are and whatnot. Mm hmm. Uh, so they basically believed that Ireland should be free from British rule. And that became the real Irish Republican Army or the new Irish Republican Army. So mm-hmm. the big split, it was from like the Irish Republican Army to like the new one or whatever. Mm-hmm. Still mostly just known as IRA. As of September 2012, there was 250 to 300 members. So it's still currently very much a thing. Mm-hmm. And under battles and wars, like when you go on the wikipedia page for them Mm -hmm. is listed the troubles which was from 1997 to 1998 and then what is called dissident irish republican campaign which is listed as ongoing so that's apparently still like current day 2022 and ongoing right but you're gonna remember you're just talking about the ira right now because then then you have to talk about why why that's relevant yeah Yeah. why that's relevant yeah i'm not going to talk about the the ongoing one though so if you want to Google that for yourself, the dissident Irish Republican campaign. I would Mm -hmm. encourage you to do that because this all was very interesting when I was reading about it. Uh, But I am going to talk about the Troubles. Now, before I get to the Troubles, I'm going to explain something 
about the IRA during all of their like times of like war and fighting and violence. Terrorism. Right. So between 1968 and 1998, they were responsible for a great deal of bombing attacks in Northern Ireland and mainland Britain. They had a code of conduct, essentially, that they followed for these bombings. They did not want to harm civilians. That was not what their mm-hmm. goal was. They essentially just wanted to blow up buildings mm-hmm. to like send a message. So they would give police at least 30 minutes notice before a bomb would go off. So essentially an IRA member or however many members it was going to take would go and place the bombs. Mm-hmm. And then they would go to a payphone or whatever phone was closest, like right there, and give the police a call and tell them where the bomb was. And then they would end the call with a very specific code that only the IRA knew. This is important. Keep this in mind. Only the IRA and the police and the media knew this code. Mm-hmm. Okay. So no one else knew this code. So that way the police or the media, whoever was called, knew that it was serious and they would go mm-hmm. immediately evacuate so civilian civilians. The mob would go off and then no people were injured. So this was a very serious thing that the IRA took seriously. Okay. Are you going to talk about why they exist in Northern Ireland or are you going to get to that or what's well, important I, to that know they, that no- I explained, they, this yes, is Northern I ex- Ireland yes I explained were you listening to me oh, when I said that I, they, I said it was a paramilitary organization that ended up splitting right British controlled Northern Ireland right not, not the entire country of Ireland Northern Ireland Northern yes. Ireland Bel- Belfast is Belfast specifically specific, we're going to yeah. talk uh, no, we're Northern Ireland oh, okay I didn't know um, if that was clear if Everybody was tracking that. Okay. I'm sorry if I didn't make that clear, but yes, I did say that. <laughs> yeah. The, the whole was Britain it, and Ireland wasn't clear war. to me if I'm going to have to dissect this whole case. <laughs> so the Ireland fight against Britain in the Irish War of Independence, I did not deep dive that. No, no, no. It just it's just important <laughs> that to That would know, explain it. Yeah. Just okay, so for everybody to just understand that, you know, they this is Northern Ireland under British rule. Yes. Okay. Okay, so by 1974, which is the year that we are talking about, mainland Britain was receiving about one attack every three days. For example, on July 14th, five bombs went off in Birmingham at the Rotunda. Put a pin in that location. That also is important to remember. So two things, the Rotunda and the code of conduct that the IRA have. Remember those two things. So now we've explained the IRA and Uh their code of conduct. Right. Now I'm going to talk about the Troubles. The Troubles, yep. This is important. Yes. This is sort of historical, too. I, again, had never heard of this. Mm -hmm. So this was all, this was very interesting to me. And spoiler for the end, this is still very much an ongoing 2022 thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited about that. It's, It's just interesting. So the Troubles took place in the late 1960s and ended with the Good Friday Agreement of 1998, or what is called as the Belfast Agreement. It's just basically a political agreement of peace. You can go and go down that rabbit hole. I did a little bit of research into that, but I didn't want to bombard with information Mm -hmm. (laughs) that wasn't specifically about what we were talking about. It's also known as the Northern Ireland Conflict, or a irregular war, or a Mm -hmm. low-level war. Mm -hmm. So it took place mostly in Northern Ireland, like you mentioned, but occasionally would affect England, mainland Europe, and the Republic of Ireland. So it's the Republic of Ireland and, like, Northern Ireland that are disagreeing Mm -hmm. on to be a part of Britain or not, right? Right, and but I think it stemmed, too, in the fact that Ireland is predominantly Catholic and England is predominantly 
Protestant. Yes, I have that fact literally the next sentence. Oh, okay, okay. Literally good, good. the next sentence. Sorry, I didn't mean to take it thunder. It's okay. So Northern Ireland, mostly Protestants, wanted to stay a part of the UK, but Irish nationalists, mostly Catholics, wanted to leave the UK and be a united Ireland. Mm, okay, Basically sorry. what you said, but that was what I typed out in my <laughs> <laughs> wording. Thank you. Did I get it? Well, it wouldn't be a podcast episode if I didn't get ahead of you, right? Yeah, but that was an acceptable one. Yeah, okay. That, was that wasn't you, like, skipping to the end of the episode <laughs> and ruining all my fun facts. Yeah, it's, it's almost like we planned that, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Well, I feel like you didn't you grow up with um, some people from Ireland, so you yes, should so know I have, some things about this. So I have yes, and that, you are half Irish, that, right? So and being from Boston, you learn about this too. So yeah. I, um, I, I do. Your uncle and I have friends. Actually, I guess your aunt too. We 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 all have friends. There was one, two, three, four of them. The the youngest being the the daughter, she was born in the United States, but. There was one my age, one maybe a year ahead of me, and then one your aunt's your aunt's age. All three brothers, and similar to our ages, and they were born and grew up a little bit until they were teenagers in Northern Ireland in, in Belfast. So yes, when I first met them, they, they you know they immigrated to the United States. I, I did. Oh yeah, you're from Ireland, and we met them and we became friends. A couple of them we were in the Boy Scouts with. You know, they were good good people. Uh, we knew the whole family. And so, yes, when I was a very young teenage boy, I heard stories. I heard some cool stories and, and learned a little bit about this. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. One of them joined the Air Force the same time I did. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. Backtracking now. Sorry. Uh, more than 3,500 people were killed during this time of the Troubles. 52% being civilians, 32% being uh, British security forces, and only 16% being the paramilitary groups mm-hmm. or the IRA, right? I'm going to tell you now a quick backstory about the morning of the Birmingham bombings, which is the main, main story that we're talking about mm-hmm. today. November 14th, James McDade, who was a member of the IRA, was accidentally killed in an explosion while he was planting a bomb at a telephone exchange and postal sorting office in Coventry, which is England. Mm-hmm. The bomb went off too early. It ju- it was a faulty bomb. So he's placing it, and then again, he's going to go call them after he places it, uh, but the bomb just went off on accident, and mm-hmm. he is killed. The Republican movement in England wanted to bury him in Birmingham with a guard of honor. From the IRA, so a paramilitary guard of honor is what they wanted to do. However, the British Home Secretary said no, no to the funeral or any associated march. So like any type of protest, any type of honoring of him in the streets, any anything like that, she put an end to. Even in the West Midlands, they banned anything linked to the death of McDade and honoring him. Citing the Public Order Act of 1932, which just prohibited, uh, and I quote, quasi-military organizations and also prohibited uniforms to be connected to political objects Mm -hmm. but i'm assuming they were just quoting the first one the Mm quasi-military organizations so they're just basically saying no you can't honor him in any way who wanted to honor him like just the local the republican movement in england Uh, so it was yeah yeah, all right right basically them okay so mcdade's death and funeral is obviously a point of contention in the country because Mm -hmm. he's a part of the ira and again, like this was mostly an Ireland issue, but England 
sometimes got hit with their bombs yeah, because, yeah. you yeah. know, it was going back and forth. So on November 21st, 1974, which is going to be the main day that we were talking about, his body is flown to Ireland. He was supposed to be flown to Belfast Airport, but the staff refused to handle the coffin. So he was flown into Dublin and then laid to rest in his birth town of Belfast in Milltown Cemetery. He was buried on November 23rd, a couple of days later. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why they wanted to bury him in Birmingham if his hometown is in Belfast. So that was weird to me. Maybe just to keep a connection there, you know, or something. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. Maybe he specified that in his life, like before dying. Because mm-hmm. if you're going around placing bombs a lot, you got to know that maybe one mm-hmm. of these times it's not going to go well. Yeah. Uh, every police officer was on duty that day with an extra 1,300 in Birmingham to help prevent any uprising from the Irish that was mm-hmm. living there. Because there were Irish people living there uh, while his body was being transported to the airport. So it was, like I said, a point of contention. Everyone is like high on adrenaline, adrenaline. like they're all worried that something's going to happen between the two of them. So now this Mm. is the morning of the 21st, okay? So his body is being moved. There's more cops. It's kind of chaos. Now, the Birmingham pub bombings is what is referred to as the deadliest terrorist attack in mainland Britain during the Troubles. Mm -hmm. 21 people were killed, 182 injured. However, the Daily Mail reports over 200 was injured, and the Daily Mail is the uk's thing so i tend to believe that one a little bit more hold on the the daily mail in the the uk are we at the bombing now yes that's what i said the guy died from i i um that was just the story about james mcdade is just a quick backstory about what happened what was going on on the morning of the 21st the morning morning of the bombings because he is specifically going to be important later Uh, when was when was the bombing november 21st 1974 What what time like where are we at in the day the bombings are going to be at 8, 11 p.m., but I'm not there yet. Oh, you were just talking about, like, the bombing happened, so... Uh, I was talking about James McDade. Okay. He died in a in an IRA bombing. Okay. But I said it was a backstory of what was going to happen on okay. the morning of the 21st. Okay. Because he is important later on in the story. Okay. So I had to tell his story for later. Okay. And that was what was happening on that morning. So there was more police working... And it was kind of already chaotic in Birmingham because his body was being moved. Daily Mail reports over 200 injured. Most left permanently disabled. One man lost both his legs and one woman was completely blinded by shrapnel. So I'm just giving you a picture of how bad this was. And all of these people were between the ages of 17 and 30. So, like I said, November 21st, 1974, at 8.11 p.m., a phone call is made to the Evening Mail and the Birmingham Post newspaper that said, and I quote, there is a bomb planted in the rotunda and there is a bomb in the new street at the tax office. This is double X. Remember I said, don't forget about the rotunda. Mm -hmm. Now, double X was that official code of from the IRA that I mentioned earlier. Do you remember I also said don't forget about that code yeah. of conduct? Yeah, you did. So double X is that code. So the the they hear this code and they're like, oh no, this is serious. So they're thinking they have 30 minutes to get to the locations and clear them out. Now, it's important to note in that phone call that I just quoted, only two locations were mentioned. But however, there are going to be three locations. Okay? The Rotunda was actually referring specifically to the Mulberry Bush Pub. The Rotunda was kind of like 
a group of buildings, like a group of different pubs and like stores. And it specifically was the Mulberry Bush pub. Within two minutes of the phone call, police arrive and they enter and start to try and evacuate the pub. However, four minutes later, so only six minutes after the phone call was made at 8.17 p.m., the bomb went off. It had been inside of a duffel bag or a briefcase at the rear entrance. And it's we're, we're unsure if it was like a duffel bag or a briefcase because obviously it was blown up. Ten people were killed in this explosion and there were people on the street, not even in the pub, that were being hit with glass. Remember I said like that one woman had gotten hit with shrapnel and she'd been blinded? I mean, yeah, there were people on the street. So they had arrived and their hope was to evacuate the pub and the, you know, the surrounding areas. But that the bomb went off in four minutes. So Mm -hmm. obviously now they're like, what is going on? We're supposed to have 30 minutes. Now, Tavern in the town was about 50 yards from the Mulberry Bush. How far is that, really? I don't, I'm don't. i bad at yards. That's what, not that 50 far, 50 yards? That's 150 feet. Oh, so that's not very... Three, three, three feet to a yard. Okay, so that's not very far at all, right? 150 feet. Yeah. It was very close to the Mulberry Bush in a basement on New Street, which is the New Street tax office that was mentioned in the phone call, right? Police tried to start clearing the pub, But at 8.27 p.m., the second bomb went off. So they had a little bit more time to get over to that pub and try and clear it. But then the second bomb went off. And this bomb had been at the base of the set of stairs that went from the street into the pub. And that was actually destroyed. So you couldn't get into the pub after the the bomb went off. So there were people trapped on the inside. But then also no one could get to them from the outside. Nine more people were killed in this bombing, and then two more died later from their wounds. After this, every single pub and businesses in the surrounding areas and towns were evacuated. And because of this, at 9.15 p.m., the third bomb was found at Hagley Road in the doorway of a bank, which was just two miles from the first two bombings. The timer on this bomb was set to go off at 11 p.m., but thankfully, it failed to go off when a police officer actually, like, poked at it. He was, like, poking at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't – when I read that, I was like, why are, Why was he poking at it? Maybe he – I don't know. Maybe he didn't think that it was a bomb and it was something else. He poked at the bags, and then they were able to destroy it the next morning in a controlled explosion. So, thankfully, that third bomb didn't harm anyone. That's good that they had that bomb, though, and we'll – I'll talk about that later. Oh, I'm, I'm going to talk about the forensics right now. Okay. Is that what you were going to talk about? Yeah, no, I just it it's so they have a full yeah. they Picture. have a full bomb, right? A full uh, identification how it's put together right. or what the signature might be. Well, they had to they they destroyed it in a controlled explosion. Right, but so. they probably maybe x-rayed it. Or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So now, I'm going to talk about the forensics. The bombs at Mulberry Bush and the tavern in town had been made similarly. That was the first thing that they were able to notice, obviously, before they destroyed the next bomb the, the next morning. The pu- the bombs at the public houses, which was the, I believe, the, um, the Hagley Road one, they were between 25 and 30 pounds, and they had lots of metal. It, had, it was just made with lots of metal. The construction of these bombs were the same of seven other bombs that had already been found around Birmingham, Coventry, and Wolverhampton 16 days before. So they're they're the same. 
the other bomb was only manufactured by the Irish Republic, which so like the type the, the way that it was used to be made or what was whatever it was used whatever was used to make it was only manufactured by them and it was not legally imported into Britain. By the IRA, it was only made by the by the Irish Republic. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What? Okay. It just said the Irish Republic, and that it wasn't legally imported into Britain, so they wouldn't have been able to make it inside of Britain. Mm-hmm. They do end up getting a list of six suspects later this night, and I will talk about them later. But I'm talking about this now because this is some of the forensics that they have. They do what is called as a grease test, grease test. Which is basically just the equivalent to gunshot residue tests on hands and clothing. Uh But it's to look for the substance that's in bombs. It's it's essentially just used to see if you handle the bomb. It's just the equivalent to a gunshot residue test. Yeah, but what about the explosion that gets all over everybody and stuff? Good point. Yep, I'll I'll talk about the Grius test later, too. Yeah, I I never heard it. I'm not sure what that is, to be honest with you. Um, It's a load of crap. You you talking about like the gunpowder and stuff? Whatever they were testing on the bombs, like whatever substance, like residue from the bomb, is what they would mm-hmm. test for on the person's hand and clothes. It was just essentially equivalent to the gunshot residue test that law enforcement do now. Nitroglycerin. It was testing for nitroglycerin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's a uh, spoiler. It's a yeah, it's a uh, BS test. <laughs> yeah, I don't. That's outside my area of expertise. Well, I'm going to give you a spoiler. It is mm-hmm. a BS test and it they end up. It, OK, we'll get there. Yeah. yeah, we'll get there. It's not going to. So, of course, because of all of these things, the police believe that all of the bombs were made by the same person or group. And they did originally believe it to be the work of the IRA. How could you not with the code word, though? Like that would be my first thought, yeah. too. Right. The theory that we'll hear later, too, by the way, is that the reason that they weren't given 30 minutes notice is because the phone that was right near that first location or the first two locations actually wasn't working. So the person had to hop on a train and go to a bus farther away and by that time had lost time to inform them. But that story is never we're n- we're never going to we don't up until now have like a confession yeah. of sorts. So that story is never really confirmed. But that's the running theory as mm-hmm. to why the police didn't get their full 30 minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say about the forensics? That was what you wanted to talk about. They have forensics. So they did. Th- so they. Recreated the bombs. So so they, they collected evidence at the scene. We didn't talk about that. Yeah, that's all the forensics. That's what no, I said. You, you skipped, weren't paying attention. You skipped right to the forensics. You you you, sk- you, you have to collect the evidence. Oh, okay. So at all three bomb locations, they collected, they probably went in, they collected uh, pieces of the bomb. This is like painstakingly slow. Yeah. You, you use little flags and you, you know, you identify, oh, that must be a piece of the bomb or, or whatever. And you collect from all three locations, you collect all these pieces and then you then you do the forensics to sort of identify that they're all all the same. And it sounds like so the explosive was the nitroglycerin is what it sounds like, because you can have like gunpowder. That was what the bombs fertilizer is a big a big one. You get fingerprints off of bomb parts as well. You can get fingerprints, you can get DNA off off of them. Of course, in 74, we wouldn't do in the DNA. When an explosive at a post blast scene, they definitely weren't looking for DNA, probably. 
you're saying they they piece it all together, and then that third bomb, having the full bomb was really really good. Yeah, even though and they destroyed it in a so controlled explosion. Do you know how long it took to to figure this all out? That it was all the same bomb. Was that was it? Were they working around the clock, or did it take a yeah, while? Yeah, it wasn't very long. Okay. Yeah. There's so, no timeline, but the, I mean, from when they arrested the people that okay. we talked about, yeah, they, it wasn't very much time at all. What about witness witnesses and stuff? Did, does it talk anywhere about the witness witnesses what they saw or anything like that? Yes, there are witnesses, but they they try. I think a couple of the witnesses say that they saw a couple of men that were like suspicious and mm-hmm. like walking away, but that was it. There's not really they weren't really like paying attention that much. So the police have identified that. This is an IRA bomb. They're that's what they believe. Yeah, that's what they believe yeah. because of you can only get it in, in Ireland. Well, y- not only that, but it had also matched. They were the same exact bombs as seven other bombs used um, that had been found in Birmingham, Coventry, and Wolverhampton 16 days before. Okay. So yeah. they're, they're, they're piecing it all together. So the forensics, mm-hmm. they're, con- they're connecting all these crime scenes together. With with the same pieces of bomb, okay. Yeah. Or the same similar. Okay, cool. Yep. All right, and so they're right now their working theory is this is IRA all day. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, two days after the bombings, the IRA releases. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Plus the phone call. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, so it, he definitely had the the person definitely had the code, mm-hmm. but he only mentioned two of the locations. He didn't talk about the third location. Yeah. So like that's also and 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 this is the first time that that they didn't get there in time, which is right. w- really unusual is what you're saying. So, yes. so they believe it's the IRA. However, they have some doubt. They have some concern that, that it, because this one's different a little bit. Kind of, but they are going to be pretty, pretty, uh, they're going to have blinders on. Okay. All right. Let's, all right, let's take it from there. So two days after the bombings, the IRA released a statement saying that they had nothing to do with the bombings and that they would be doing an internal investigation to see if there were any, potential rogue members who were involved in the bombings. They also go on to say it did not fit their MO or their code of conduct because not enough warning had been given and they would have made sure no civilians were injured or occurred or killed. I'm sorry, which I mean is yeah something that I would say too, if someone in my organization messed up, then I would just be like, Nope, wasn't us. Right. Would you not? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the thing is the police, it, they're still a terrorist organization, whether they, whether they, didn't want anybody to get hurt or not. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for the police to just start, like you said, pinning on them and start getting blinders and start to focus in on on the IRA. Right. So they probably started rounding them up, the ones in country, because they knew who they are. They knew who they were. Yes. However, they didn't have to because that night, the night of the 21st, uh-huh. there were some Northern Irish men that were arrested at the Lancashire port of Haysham, they were about to board to go to Northern Ireland, and they had actually been on their way to a funeral in Birmingham. More that's James McDade, yeah, who was McDay, a member, yeah. who was a member of the IRA. Okay. Now they say these. There's six of them. There's six men. They say that they had no idea he was a member of the IRA. Uh. Less than 20 minutes before the bombs had started going off, they had taken a train from Birmingham New Street train station, which is where the first two bombs were, or where the first bomb was, 
So they were definitely in the area. <laughs> it's, all, it's all adding up to the police. I see it. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, and they're like, oh, you were on your way to James McDade's funeral. Yeah. He's an IRA member, so you must be IRA members too. Yes. The next day, How the How do you not know member, he's an IRA member? Right. Well, we'll get there too. Okay. The next day, the sixth member of their group who was had been traveling together, he was actually arrested um, in Birmingham because he had like split up from the group. Now, the six men, I might need your help with a couple of their names. Well, just one of their, one of their names is Patrick Hill, Ger- Ger- Gerard Hunter, mm-hmm. Richard McClenny, M-C-L-L-Kenny, McClenny, McClenny, I'm sorry if McClenny? I'm pronouncing McClenny, yeah. William Power, John Walker, and Hugh Calligan. They would become what is known as the Birmingham Six, mm-hmm. which is probably more known than just like the Birmingham yeah, uh, bombings. Yeah, people are probably going to go, oh, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, sure. yeah. They are all from Northern Ireland. None of these men are actual members of the IRA. Jeez, that's a tongue twister. What were they doing at the funeral of an IRA member? So I will get there. Okay. Do you want me to tell you now? No, no, I'm just, I'm just asking out loud because the listeners are probably wanting to know too. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. You, people can have friends, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> but like, it doesn't look good to the police. Yeah, I, th- I mean, how do you not know there's a terror? He's a terrorist. Maybe he didn't tell people. Okay, I'll give you one spoiler for one of them. One of them, I forget which one. I think I have it written down. He was their babysitter. James McDade was the babysitter of one of the guys. He babysat the dude's kids, so okay. he probably didn't go around so spewing that they information. Pro- they probably grew up and didn't know that their parents or uncles were IRA members, and they just had friends that way. Okay, all right, yeah. So Calligan, McClenny, Power, and Walker did sign confessions later. Oh, jeez. Later to be revealed that they had been coerced and tortured. They had been tortured and, like, beaten by police. All right. That'll come out later, but they do. Do you have any information about those interviews, those interrogations? Do you have any? Just from what we know, when a book comes out in 2016, 2012, Mm -hmm. I have that information on there, too. Okay. Um, it just talks about how the police and then there's actually a documentary on the Birmingham six yeah. that I watched a little bit of it. You literally, I think it's on YouTube or it's on some web website. You can just Google and they all talk about their stories and they talk about what happened. They, uh, they talk about how like when they were approached by police, uh-huh. police explained to them like, Hey, there were some bombings. We're just stopping everyone right now. Uh-huh. Do you mind staying back for a few seconds? And they were saying, listen, we didn't have to stay with them and talk to them, but we wanted to yeah. cooperate. We had nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. And they, when they did that grease test and came in and told them that a couple of them had tested positive, that they immediately just started, like, beating them. And, like, one of the guys said that he had seen the other two come in and he could, like, see them being beaten and he just knew that it was, it was over. <laughs> they were going to be pinned for it. And they were just physically harming them, the police were, is what they, they talk about yeah. in this documentary. Protestant police beating up on the Catholic Irish. That, I mean, it's... It's deep like that. It was deep like that. That's insane. Yeah, I know. They really didn't like each other that much. Oh, yeah. yeah it was, it was so, like I said, the Grius test is done by Dr. Frank Skoos. Uh, allegedly found traces of nitroglycerin on the hands of two of the men. All of the men were charged with 21 counts of murder. Because remember I said 21 people died. And found guilty after a 45-day trial. Is that a long trial? It seems like a long trial for me. To me. That seems like quick oh does it seems like yeah well from the time they were arrested and confessed allegedly 45 days that way no it was just a 45 day trial it was about a year between they were okay no 45 days so so no that's that's um they were sentenced in 1975 that's six weeks no 
okay. you know. So they all maintained their innocence even after the signed confessions that they continued to say mm-hmm. was coerced. They were sentenced to life in 1975. Their first appeal was denied in 1976. They tried suing the West Midlands police for their injuries they mm-hmm. received after their arrest uh, by the police. That was thrown out in 1981. The, the IRA, that's what, that's what they're thinking. Everybody's thinking that. There's their IRA, IRA. Yep. 1987, new evidence is brought out, and the case it goes back to the Court of Appeal. However, it is denied again. Don't know how that worked. I want to know what that evidence was. Because the book that I'll talk about doesn't come out until 1991 is this. Or the the information doesn't come out. So in March of 1991, the appeal court is what they always quoted as saying quashed. Is that just their way? Quashed. It was was shut down. Like. Quieted. Exonerated. Uh, So it's the same thing. No. This says they quashed the men's convictions. Oh, that's not what I... You yeah, didn't. You didn't say that. That's not what I understood. Oh, quash. Sorry, I thought. Th- I thought there was only going to be one definition. Is that for a the British? Word. No. Is that a British term? Maybe because that was literally yeah, the only so term that was okay, used. What year to was this? Nineteen ninety-one, March of nineteen ninety-one. Okay, and and they did what? They quashed the men's convictions. That literally every article, from American to non-American articles that they have written about this, say quashed. <laughs> Hold on. I'm, they were Hold free. On. They were set free. Yeah, spell that for me. Q U A S H E D. I'm assuming it just means exonerated because they were set free and compensated for the 16 years they spent in prison. So. Ah. Quash. To put down or suppress completely. Quell, subdued. No, so the way the example I was given is, is correct. Quash. You sh- you shut you sh- shut something shut down. Oh, so you it's just quash. their way of saying exoneration, yeah. I guess. Or the second one, to make void, annul, or set aside a law indictment decision. Yeah. So it's it's actually got two two meanings. So my meaning was right, but when you finished the sentence, I I said, oh no, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Oh, quash. Okay. Quash means hey, you better quash that. Yeah. Right? I mean, I've heard it before, better, but I've better, never heard it in this context. No, I have never heard it in this context. Yeah. So wow, that's, that's interesting. We learned something new. <laughs> hey, everybody. Yeah, it just must be. Uh, I wonder how many thing. listeners out there going, duh, Steve. <laughs> you know, we have some uh, listeners in England. Yeah. So they're probably laughing. I think at us. in Ireland too, don't we? I think we've had like one in Ireland, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Okay. All right. So they their convictions were quashed <laughs> and they were Unbelievable. set free. Quash, yeah. They were set free and compensated for the 16 years in prison. However, Billy Power in his documentary says no one can comp- can compensate for that many years. Good point. How, how do you compensate for 16 years of being wrongfully convicted for killing 21 people? <laughs> they're all like when they get out, they're all in like their 50s to 60s. They're, that's how old they are. Close, like 40s, 50s, 60s. So the documentary starts off explaining why they were going to James McDade's funeral and yeah. how they knew him. Uh, like I said, one guy says that he used to babysit his kids. Like they all were friends, uh-huh. neighbors, like it, living yeah, in the community I, I together. I, how do you not know the guys in the IRA? I don't get that. I, maybe it wasn't something he went around flaunting. Do people yeah. usually talk about that? Well, look, he was a guy that was handling a bomb and it blew up. So he was a doer. He was a guy on the street. Right. Like there had been Romulans. I, I mean. These guys are proud too. That I, I how he hid that I don't know. Okay, all right. 
But they claim that they had no idea that he was an IRA member. I mean, if he was babysitting kids, I don't think I would. But they got beaten during their integration. Then they just said, yeah, fine, I did it. Right? That's, yeah, that's what it sounded like. Okay. They were just, it was coerced. They were mm-hmm. beaten into saying yes. Okay, why did they quash it? Quash it, now I'm using that. Why did they do that? What 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 was the reason for that now? So Chris Mullen, who was a government minister be- before leaving parliament in 2012, he actually published a book called Error of Judgment, the truth about the Birmingham bombings in which he exposes the West Midlands police for framing the Birmingham Six, which is what led to their exoneration in 1991. So he was essentially didn't believe that they were guilty in the first place. So he was doing his own investigation right. and he was interviewing so people. He was looking into the police. He talked to the Birmingham six. Yeah. He, here's how it kind of works in our system. You, you argue that the confessions were not good mm-hmm. because of the torture and the coercion. Right. And then you get the confessions thrown out and that's the only thing they had on them. There's a system well. similar to ours. Hold on. And that's the only thing they had on them. So then they they say, okay, you're released. But that still doesn't necessarily mean they didn't do it. Well, they also, the only other thing they also had on them was the Grius test that I mentioned. Wow. They, did that they, ends did up they coming actually, out. Did they actually have that on them? It, that, it was... It was like I said, it, be, it came out as a, a phony, as a BS. Like there was, they weren't going to be able. It wasn't a legitimate. So test was it? Is it bogus science, or did they lie about it? What's it, the deal? At the time, it was just bogus science because okay. uh, one of the guys, one hand tested positive, one hand tested negative. Yeah. So and and they didn't tell them about these findings, and only like two of them tested positive anyway. But again, that one dude, it was just fifty percent. Like yeah, but here's the thing: I don't so have it was, a. It was bogus. Yeah, it, it was it a bogus be, science. It should be used as a tool, though, right? You right. can lie and you can say, hey, if I, here's how I would have done it. If if I give you this test, it tests for nitroglycerin. If I were to give you this test or take this, administer this test on your hands, what would the results of that be? That's But that's what law enforcement uses the polygraph for, and I disagree with that. No, that's you're allowed to do that in interrogation. You're right. allowed to lie. You can. It's the bottom line. There's right, no discussion. but using the polygraph, you can't use a polygraph in... Uh, a court right we're not at court we're talking about the the mm. confession that now the torture that's a whole different but story I'm you can't do as, that as a person being interviewed i wouldn't talk about the polygraph. i'd be like i'm not talking about a polygraph because you can't use it anyway and the, right that don't think like hannah fangle i'm talking about but that's what i'm saying that yeah. i wouldn't i'm talking about i'm telling you i don't really have a problem with that test that test should have been used as a tool, tool. Gotcha. for the for the interrogation so they this none of this still proves that they didn't do it. It just proves that their confession right. was coerced. So apparently, Chris Mullen has a list of people who did it. Apparently, he's talked to them. He's received uh-huh. their confessions. He's done his own investigation. He has like a whole bunch mm-hmm. of journals on it. Sure. So apparently, he knows who did it. So whether or not just that evidence alone says that they mm-hmm. didn't do it. Yeah. They were exonerated and they, you know, they yeah. still claim their innocence. And again, they continue to say, we had no idea he was a part of the IRA. It does come out though, like after this, that they weren't members of the IRA. So yeah. they are able to like, the IRA is able to say, no, they weren't members with us. Okay, that's good. So I think that kind of helps their case too. It, it mm-hmm. is confirmed that they yeah. weren't members. Yeah. So that, that, that's good right there. They weren't members that's good because, you know, this was pretty elaborate. There was three bombs that 
were built, yeah. and there were three bombs that were placed somewhere, mile a couple miles apart, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was a phone call that was made, and they had the real code. You know, so you needed now. Did the IRA come out and say it wasn't them just to protect them? I don't know. I, okay. But it could also maybe not be the IRA because yeah. how easy is a code to leak like that? If the media and police mm. and IRA know it. Yeah. But like they didn't give the police enough time. They only gave two locations. Yeah, that's, that's fair. It, yeah, it is maybe like maybe mm-hmm. they, they went rogue. I don't know. All right. So where are we at? So November 18th, 2020, two days before this 46th anniversary wow. of the bombings, a 65-year-old man is arrested in Belfast in his home. Mm-hmm. He uh, was under arrest under the UK's Terrorism Act, and the house was being searched. No name has been released to the public since then. Uh, it's still ongoing right now in 2022. Um, and I was typing this on the 23rd, so just a couple hours ago, or a couple of days ago, there was um, an update seven hours prior to me typing this and researching. So he was arrested for the in connection to the bombings? To the bombings, yeah. Oh, wow. But awesome. his name isn't being released, and like oh. the rest of the information isn't being they released. They don't want to screw this up. Yeah, and supposedly two, there's two others who are already dead who mm-hmm. were responsible for that day's bombings Do you also. think this investigative journalist gave him the information, or do you think the police came about this on their own? Nope, because I'm going to get to that too. <laughs> that's the thing that's going on currently. Okay, cool. He is not giving up his information. Chris Mullen is right. not. So uh, He doesn't say then, oh, you got the wrong guy, you got the right guy. He doesn't say anything. As far as I can tell, no. He says that he has a moral and professional obligation to protect his sources. Oh, jeez. Because he wasn't in law enforcement. He was at that point. Yeah, I got it, but people died. I, yeah, I know. Oh, oh, li- listen. The family members of the victims of that day, they've come out and they've said, like, that's messed up. You should like, why are you protecting his right to privacy or whatever? Like, yeah, the the families of the victims have come out and, you know, spoken out against him. So currently the police are demanding to see all of his journals with his sources and information, which has the, the potential names of more of the suspects. Now, he apparently... Like I said, actually interviewed the men. So if that's to be believed, he's interviewed the person that they have arrested. If yeah, and that person, yeah, that. So th- it, he's gonna get caught soon. He's gonna, they're gonna, the jig will be up for the journalist. Oh, Chris Mullen. Yeah. So they're taking him to court. Um, mm. There is a hearing that's going to be held in the uh, and the West Midlands Police is demanding all of his uh, information. And they're also demanding that journalists and the public be banned from it. So yeah. they don't want anyone to know what's going on, which I'm like, hmm, it's kind of shady. You don't want people to know I, what you guys I did back in the day? If, if I were a judge in our country, I might say, I'm going to review the information and, and, and see for myself, you know, before I make my ruling. They can do stuff like that. So that'd be cool. Yeah, it's the wording because it was – I was reading the British articles – and the wording was kind of difficult for me to understand. A bunch of legal terms, too. Yeah. Essentially, there's an argument of uh, expectation to privacy. And everyone mm-hmm. is arguing that whatever is decided is going to set a precedence. Yeah, that's how it works. journalism and an expectation of yeah. privacy in their country mm-hmm. and all of that. So they're currently deciding on whether yeah, or not. Yeah, it's just it's an act of terrorism, though. It's They're going to. OK, that's cool. Yeah. Well, but they got this so guy arrested. So the police are on to something. Yeah, he's on to something. They have well, been they're determined. on him and two other guys. Well, two other guys are dead. But they were on to him. Right. OK. Right. So there should be, I think, at least one or two more. Uh-huh, OK. 
which is still a group of people. So. Yeah, no, this is good. This is good. Yeah, so, I mean, if they're not going to allow journalists and the public to know what's going on in the trial or the hearing, I don't know if we'll be able to have an update. Okay. I don't know if that... I'll this was 20, what, 2020? 2022 is the current... Oh. They're having the hearing, I think, like, next oh. month they were talking about. Yeah. Well, we can... We will... Um, I mean, we'll I'll keep an eye on this. Yeah, and then we'll post on Instagram if, if right. there's an update. If they allow anyone to be a part of it. Or if they release, do a press release or something. Right. Okay, They're cool. still not releasing the guy's name who they arrested, though. I could not All find right. that information anywhere. Cool. It's still ongoing there. I mean, this was a big terrorist attack in England yeah, at the time. Yeah, at the time, yes. Yeah. So they've taken it very seriously over the mm-hmm. years to try and get the right people. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they do it properly this time. Wow, what a doozy handle that one was. Yeah. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add? No. So it's it's a crime. It's, I thought it's, it was interesting yeah, to bombing. talk about. There wasn't a it's, whole it's lot. A, yeah, it's a bombing. Uh, you know, you can go research. There's a lot of information out there about this one. But yeah. it, it's a bombing. So they had, they had crime scene. They had evidence collection. And I'm telling you, post-blast crime scene is painstaking painstaking you know yeah and the second location now listen i didn't talk about a lot of stuff because it was kind of graphic but i mean at the second location again it probably took a while to collect the evidence because there were i mean there were people that inside the bomb the pub that had been blown into like the walls yeah and they like their bodies were like stuck in the walls it was devastation everywhere i think there's a movie about this an old movie about this maybe really yeah. So when I so when I first looked it up, I was confused because for a second I thought they were talking about what is uh what the Peaky Blinders are the show is yeah. uh talk is based off of. So I I had to Google them because I was like, wait a minute, are we gonna talk about the Peaky Blinders in this? But that took place in the nineteen twenties, so so they reopened the um, investigation in 2016. Mm-hmm. At the time, there was an issue that some of the files relating to the case were under embargo for 75 years. And 35 pieces of important evidence had been lost, including the unexploded bomb. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I forgot to add that part. Even with the new inquest that was happening in 2016, it w- it at the time was kind of under the assumption that nothing was ever going to come out of that. So really Chris Mullins journals are really like the thing. Mm-hmm. That well, is and the thing is he's a journalist. He, he may not have, he has a story. He, he may, they may not be the people. Right. He was, I mean, he was the minister, the government minister, a government minister. I don't know mm-hmm. what that is. He was in parliament. So I don't know. All right. Let's keep an eye out for this then for the ruling on this one. And then we'll post it. Can you believe they lost the unexploded bomb though? Yeah, I can't. I cannot believe that. <laughs> I just can't believe that. Yeah. Do you think right. they could have still tested fingerprints on that after? All yeah, this time? yeah sh- they sure can. Like they could. They so again, they had pieces and parts that well, they could get DNA. From whatever evidence they have, they can get DNA if they have plenty of it, right? Because oh, yeah, somebody 2020s. somebody had to put the bomb together. Now they might have used gloves, but nevertheless, somebody had to put the bomb together. So they could have they could check up a DNA now, fingerprints. You know, they had pretty good crime scene evidence, uh, and they lost some. Yeah, the, but it seems like there would have been a, shady. it seems like there would have been a lot of witnesses. I'm not sure why they don't have good descriptions from the witnesses. Like, people were out and about. It was a pub, you know. 
I read a lot of different articles and the book that I have, mm-hmm. and I watched part of the documentary. There's even a podcast, um, another mm-hmm. podcast called The Troubles, mm-hmm. that specifically talks about one of the episodes is the Birmingham Post. And I literally mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything in any of yeah. it about witnesses. It, all it mentioned was that there were some witnesses that testified during yeah. the trial, but it didn't say what they testified to. All right, what a, what a doozy again. That's a good one, Hannah. You pulled you went deep into the archives for that one. It was interesting yeah. to me. Although we've talked about things that are much older. Yeah. It was just it was not no, this is a different type of crime. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Hope I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I hope, hope you everybody liked it. Enjoyed it. Yeah. We might come back and talk about some more things in mm-hmm. Ireland. Yeah. All right. As a teaser. Okay. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are enjoying listening to us, we would love to hear from you. Uh with a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You could also do that on anchor.fm. You can follow us on Instagram at True Crime Archives Podcast. We're also on Twitter at TC Archives Pod. And I think it's been a while. Is that it? Yep. (laughs) All right. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Later. Later.